Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. Thank you for what it shows us of you, what it shows us of ourselves. So might you be pleased as we worship you by opening the scriptures and might you open our ears to hear what you have for us. Thank you, Lord, for your grace to us. In Christ's name, amen. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 17. The Gospel of John, chapter 17. This chapter, uh, the whole chapter, is a prayer that Jesus prayed. And uh, as you track through, through the Gospels, it would land on a, a prayer that he prayed the night he was betrayed. And in this prayer, uh, interestingly, Jesus prays for himself, and he does that in the, in the first five verses. And, and then he prays for his followers, uh, his, his 12 who were there with him in verses 6 through 19, and, which is significant. He, he, he prays especially for them and for himself in view of what is about to happen in his betrayal, his arrest, and the passion of Christ. But then he goes on in, in that prayer and he prays for us. Uh, he looks ahead and he prays for us, uh, starting around verse 20. And he prays some very interesting things. We'll look at that this morning. Politics has always been a very contentious and nasty arena. Um, I know sometimes you may think it's pretty nasty today. Let's go back and read some history. <laughs> you can go back in previous generations, and, and, and it's always been a pretty nasty arena. Uh, you step into it, and you're going to get bloodied. Uh, in, in my lifetime, not that it's been all that long, I don't remember observing a political climate that is, um, that is as blindly partisan and politics that are as angry and hateful as they presently seem to be. Um, it, it seems that we are becoming a nation that doesn't just disagree with each other, but distrust each other and uh, is determined to destroy the other guy. There are certainly several, several matters connected to politics and national poli- uh, policy that are, really, that are before us, even even this weekend. Uh, this is what is called Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, a Sunday that's been set aside to, to remember the, the Supreme Court decision, Roe versus Wade, um, which was handed down January 22nd, 1973, uh, guaranteeing uh, the right to abortion, um, has led to, it would be estimated, the termination of more than 60 million human lives in the womb. And certainly the government's sanction of of such a practice has created a bitter, bitter political divide within our nation. Uh, Politically, uh, the abortion debate has been cast as reproductive rights versus the right of an unborn child to live. 
And I would remind us that though abortion is very much in the political arena, that fundamentally abortion is a theological issue because it has to do with human life. And and the scriptures would teach us that human life is sacred, and it's sacred because it comes from God. Back in the book of Genesis, when, when God created Adam and Eve, it speaks there of God forming and shaping him with the dust of the ground, and then in, in, in his image, and then God breathed the breath of life into him. And so it's sacred. But certainly, uh, one of the issues in the political arena. Tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, um, commemoration of his birthday, which is actually on January 15th. Um, but, uh, but the day that is set aside is, is tomorrow. Um, if he had been granted longevity... He would have turned 91 years old uh, uh, this year. He was not granted longevity. It, it, if you will, it brings to the forefront uh, that day the, the moral and the political fight for civil rights uh, that has been in, in, in various arenas continues to be waged in, in our own nation in the political arena. Uh, King successfully led the fight to end racial segregation, discrimination, at least, at least on the level um, of politics and legislation. Um, even with his success uh, several decades ago, race certainly continues to be a, signif- a significant factor in politics and contributes to uh, the political dialogue and debate. Uh, as is true of, of abortion, I would submit to you that The matter of racism is a theological issue because the Bible speaks to, again, the value of human life, man created in God's image, which has nothing to do with with ethnicity. It has to do with being human, thus sacred. So those two issues right upon us. And, and And then there's the impeachment trial that's underway. And what's playing out to be a very bitter partisan battle uh, between p- two political parties, uh, each claiming to have the truth, uh, each claiming to represent the ish- interests of the people. Uh, and so that is playing out before our eyes, and I'm sure everyone here has opinions on that. And uh, I would be very, fairly certain that not, not every, every one of us here this morning has the same opinions on all of that that's playing out there in D.C., And then as if that's not enough, what I might call the icing on the political cake, it's a presidential election year. Uh, Iowa caucuses in two weeks. Politics really is is neither good nor bad. It It really depends on things. In and of itself... Politics are not good or bad. The, the, the word literally just comes from a, a word that has to do with the affairs of the city. Uh, so it's about, we talk about politics, we're talking about governance. Um, it also has to do with, with having or, or gaining influence over governance. Politics has to do with having power to make decisions and having power to pass laws. And certainly, good things have been accomplished through politics. Good things have been accomplished in, in our nation through politics. But so have evil things. So have evil things. 
And by virtue of, of what politics are, they will be divisive. For they are, they are rooted in, in beliefs and values, and politics express one's view of their world, of how things ought to be. Politics is an expression of, of one's values and one's moral values. It, it, it gets worked out. It gets expressed in that arena. So it is not surprising, then, that politics are divisive. The partisanship of politics, however, doesn't just divide our society. It actually does have a history of dividing the church. Again, read back through history and you'll find churches, you'll find denominations and groups that split on matters related to these things. When politics becomes a barrier to Christian fellowship, okay, and I'm going to use Christian fellowship as brothers and sisters in Christ. When politics becomes a barrier to Christian fellowship, something's off. At a time when, when followers of Jesus Christ and true churches, churches that, that proclaim the word of God and seek to proclaim the gospel of, of, of Jesus Christ, at a time when, when followers of Jesus and true churches need to come together as a gospel force, a gospel force, they're being divided by political forces. And don't think that the political operatives don't know what they're doing. Nothing will stir us to action quite like fear. We need to be reminded in this climate and in these times that Jesus prayed for us. And one of the things that Jesus prayed for was for our unity. John chapter 17 and I'm not going to read down through it. I mentioned in it, Jesus prays for himself. He prays for his 12. But then there around verse 20, at verse 20 in his prayer, he, he prays for us. Look at verse 20, John 17. He says, I do not pray for these alone. And he's referring to the 12 that were with him. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me. That's us through their word, the witness of the apostles handed down to us through the New Testament scriptures, who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and Jew in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as, I, as you have loved me. Did you hear the petition in the words of Christ for his followers, but for those who would believe? That there would be a unity 
to his followers. Now, put that, put that in, in its context. I mean, there, there's something new is about to begin. You track through the story of the Bible, and, 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 and yeah, the, you know, the, the world has been there, the nations have been there, but the focus has been on one particular group of people. One particular ethnicity, the, the descendants of Abraham through Jacob, through Israel, a particular people. And you track that through, through the Old Testament, and even as Jesus comes, he comes to that people, he comes to Israel. Because God was working, God was making himself known through that people, and God had a covenant with that people. But something new is about to happen. And what's going to happen, what's going to begin is that there's going to be this, there's going to be this new people. There's going to be this assembly of God's people that, that's not going to be united by ethnicity. They're not going to be united by language. They're not going to be united by nationality. They're not going to be united by gender, economics, class, or age, but rather would be diverse in all of those categories. It's about to happen. Jesus, no doubt, anticipated the threat of the divisions that would naturally exist and those divisions being carried into this new assembly. And so he prayed for their unity, even as he was about to provide everything that would be necessary to secure their unity and to preserve their unity. Unity. Now, I was raised in, in a church environment that was suspicious of the term unity. I do not say that in a disparaging way. I understand times and some of the dynamics as I look back on it. So I'm not disparaging that. I'm just observing it. In that environment, unity smacked of compromise. Unity smacked of a lack of conviction, of theological wimpiness. Maybe even worldliness. And certainly, an inevitable drift into heresy. And so unity was not talked about, typically. Except usually in more of a negative context. I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that, that they didn't believe in unity. I'm not saying that. I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just conveying sort of, sort of that, that environment where, where unity is one of these things. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I know it's there, but I don't know. It's, 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 a little bit, it's a little bit dangerous. Um, certainly, certainly, Jesus is not referring to a unity at any cost kind of unity. Faithfully following Jesus sometimes disunites families and friendships and and will lead us into conflict with the world. Jesus said that. And, And gospel convictions are going to disunite us from those who preach another gospel. Paul wrote to the Galatians about that. Heresy breaks unity. Unconfessed sin breaks unity among believers as well. Both Paul and John wrote about that. 
And, and sometimes strong differences of opinion can break unity as with the ministry split up of Paul and Barnabas over John Mark. However, that Jesus prayed for unity tells us it's important. It's a unity that is rooted in the unity of God himself, and that comes out in the prayer of Jesus. It's a unity that's created by God's truth. It's a unity that's brought about by the finished work of Jesus Christ and by the ongoing sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. If Jesus prayed for our unity, then prayer must be a vital part of preserving, protecting, and defending our unity as brothers and sisters in Christ, even in the face of political differences. You see, it's true that unity at any cost harms the church. It's also true that divisions can harm the church. Remember the church in Corinth, that city, that thriving city, where in that church you had the party of Paul, you had the party of Peter, you had the party of Apollos, and you had the super spiritual party of Christ? That partisanship had needlessly divided the Corinthian church and negatively impacted its witness for Christ in that earthly city of Corinth where they lived. It was, a, it was a misguided partisanship centered around admirable persons. Admirable persons. But it divided their fellowship. Unless we think, oh, well, hey, okay, that was, that was like about preachers and all that. So lest we think uh, this is different from political partisanship. Could I just remind you that when Jesus called 12 men to follow him, that one of them named Matthew was a tax collector for the Roman government, and thus he was considered a Roman collaborator. And then there's this obscure guy named Simon, not Peter, who was called the zealot. Probably, okay, probably, Probably he was called the zealot because he identified with a Rome-hating Jewish nationalist faction that was born out of strict Pharisee-like adherence to Jewish law. Do you think these two guys had different political views, if we can use that term in their day? Left to themselves, it would seem that Simon might have wanted to kill Matthew. And Matthew perhaps would have looked for any opportunity to maybe end up putting him in debtor's prison with a, with a tax debt. Yet Jesus brought them together in his group. I mean, of all the people he could have chosen. Remember, lots of people. I mean, you know, there's crowds and then you, you read about these 70s and then Jesus goes up and he spends all night praying to the Father, who should I make a part of these 12? How about Matthew and how about Simon the Zealot? Okay, I want those two in. There will be differences among us as Christians. There will be. 
Even in, in, in the political realm, there's, there's going to be differences. But not all differences among us as Christians need to divide us. And so looking down the corridors of time, there that, that night in which he was betrayed, Jesus prayed for our unity. Let me just pause for a moment and, and, and affirm the priority of prayer in matters of politics. When Paul wrote to his son in the faith, Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and he wrote to Timothy, Timothy, this is what I want you to teach the church. Paul told Timothy to teach the church that, that prayers were to be made for kings and all in authority. And, and Paul said to Timothy, teach them to do that first of all. What did he mean by that? What he meant by that is that this is the most important thing those Christians could do in relation to the king and to all in authority was to pray for them. That was the most important thing. That was the priority thing. There in the text, the king would refer to like the top person, the one with the, with the absolute and supreme authority. So in Paul's day, Caesar, and that would have been, in, in his time he's right, would have been a guy named Nero. And then all in authority. And you can, you, can go through the, you can go through the book of Acts and you find Paul interacting with, with various authorities who are named. A couple Roman governors, for example, named Felix and, 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 and Festus, for whom he appeared. And then there's that time he stands before King Agrippa II. The, the instruction is pray for them. Now, I realize you go back 2,000 years for these Christians, and then that was about all they could do. They, they didn't get to go out and vote. And, and they didn't go out and campaign for whatever their leaders were going to be in the Jewish community or in the Roman Empire, as Jews, they had no, really no rights. So what else could they do? They couldn't do anything else but pray. You know, and, and now we live in an age when we have the freedom to speak out. We have the freedom to vote, which I do. And, and even the freedom to run for office, to, to serve in, in political offices in our nation. Christians can do that. We have that opportunity. We have that, that freedom. However, let's be really clear that none of those things bumps prayer down the list of what we're to do as we approach this matter of politics. None of those things replaces prayer, and none of those things becomes of first importance. You can, you can write to your congressmen or senators, which I've done. You can campaign in an upcoming election. You can go out and vote. But until you pray for them, you haven't done the one thing God tells you to do with reference to them. And so prayer. And, and the prayers there, if you, you're not going to take time, I really wrestle with that. I'm not going to take time in the first Timothy passage. But it's not just God help, you know, help, help the president. No, I mean, he said, you, you know, all people, you, you pray for these people. And, and, and what, what do you do? You offer up supplications and intercessions and petitions and then paul throws this nasty word in there with thanks with thanks pray for them do you pray for president trump do you pray for nancy pelosi 
you pray for those serving in governor, senate, house? Do, do you pray for them or, or like just like, well, I'll pray, I'll pray for, for my part of that and let the other side pray for their part. That's not, that's not, that's not the text here. You know, often we, you know, we, we might pray, oh, God, you know, help the president to seek you and, you know, and help, help the Congress to seek you. Well, really, what Paul is telling us is, no, you seek the Lord for them. You go to the Lord for them. Intercede for them. So pray. So, brothers and sisters, you know, as you think through the moral sickness of our nation, however you want to describe that, and as you think through today's politics, and as you think through this year's election, pray. It's not a trite answer. Why? Because God, God instructs us to do that. So how can we pray, then? How can we pray in a way that unites us as one body in Christ? How can we pray in such a way as to preserve, protect, and, de- and to defend our unity as one body in Christ? Because prayer can be divisive. How we pray, what we pray for, how we frame it, how we word it. I've been in prayer times, I thought, wow, I'm glad the, the other side of this political equation isn't represented here because they might really feel left out, attacked in that. How do we pray How do we pray in such a way that that preserves, protects, and defends our unity? Well, how about we follow what Christ talks about here in this prayer when he was praying for us in John chapter 17. A couple things to, to just note here. First of all, let's pray out of the unity that we have. Let's pray out of our unity. And that unity is what we already noted in verses 21 to 23. It's, it's a unity that has been established. It's a unity that has been given to us. It's a unity that has been achieved for us already. We already have this unity through faith in Jesus Christ, through his indwelling spirit. We have that already. Let's pray out of that unity that we have already been given. We're told in this prayer, Jesus expresses, expresses a, descript, a description of this unity. We, we have a unity in belief. Our unity in belief. He talks about those who will believe in me. Through their word, through the word of the apostles. Those, that's us, who will believe in me. Through their word, that they all may be one. A unity that's rooted in this common belief that we have. Our shared belief in the word of God. Our shared belief in the gospel handed down to us from the apostles in God's holy word. Our faith in the crucified, risen, ascended, and coming Jesus Christ. This is what binds us together. Not what we think about the president. Not what we think about the speaker of the house. Not being Republicans or Democrats, Democrats. Not what you think about immigration. Not what you think about gun control or climate or tax policy or government assistance. What unifies us is our shared faith in Christ. And it supersedes all those other matters. It doesn't say those other matters aren't there. It just says our faith in Christ, our unity in Christ supersedes those things. Unity and belief. He goes on in his prayer, and he talks about this unity that we have in a shared glory. In a shared glory. He goes on, he says, And the glory which which you, Father, gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. 
the glory that the Father gave the Son, the Son has given to his followers, and, and that is us. We have unity in a shared glory. What does that refer to? Well, if you go back earlier in his prayer, in verses 6 and 8, Jesus spoke of giving his followers two things. He spoke of giving them his name, and he spoke of giving them his word. Jesus gave his followers identity. He gave his followers resources. He gave his followers direction. We are united because we share that one name. It's not a political name. It's not an ethnic name. It's Jesus' name. He gave us that name. We are united because we draw from the same resources that were secured for us by Jesus Christ and brought to us by his Holy Spirit. We share that. And we follow the same direction. We follow Jesus Christ. And bearing that one name, drawing from those resources, following his direction is what brings glory to God. We may have differing views on what politics ought to accomplish and how politics ought to accomplish that in our society. But this is what matters. This is what matters most. Drawing on, living out the name that we have in Christ Jesus. What we have been given through the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ, the coming of his spirit, the mission that we have been given. This is what we share in. What comes as a result of this? This unity that we have, this unity living out, this unity of belief, living out this unity of a shared glory. Well, well, look what Jesus said in verses 21 and 23. That they also may be one in us, okay, that unity. Why? With what result? That the world may believe that you sent me. It goes on in verse 23. That they may be made perfect in one that the world may know that you have sent me. This, this unity of which we have, this unity we have been given, this unity for which Christ prays, that it would, be, it would be lived out and realized in its fullness among his followers, among those who name the name of Christ, as that is lived out. Here's what Jesus said. Here, here's a result of that, that the world may believe that you, Father, sent me. That the world may know that you have sent me. How are they going to know that? Through this unity that we live out as, as his followers in Christ Jesus. As we bear his name. As we draw upon his sufficient resources. As we follow his direction. And that becomes the marching orders around which we rally and unite. That's what comes as a result of all this. Jesus connects that result to our unity. So our unity as a church, despite our personal differences, is a public witness to the world that Jesus came from God, that God's love rests on us, and that it rests upon his own son and any who will trust in him. Any who will trust in him can come into the same Jesus is, he's not praying for uniformity. He's not praying for unanimity. He's praying for unity. A oneness of heart, a oneness of faith, a oneness of purpose. Let's let that 
Let's let that steer and direct our prayers. So pray out of our unity. Pray out of our unity. Well, there's another thing Jesus mentions, and that's pray with a focus on our destiny. Pray with a focus on our destiny. Verse, verse 24, what is that destiny? Father, I desire that, that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. Pray with a focus on our destiny. Our destiny is to be with him. Our destiny is to behold his glory. We sang of that this morning. We sang of that. Pray with that in view. Yeah, it's future. You say, well, what does that have to do with now? It it will shape how you live now. It will shape how you view right now. It'll shape how you view, view what is most important to you right now. Pray with a focus on our destiny. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Weight of Glory, wrote these words. He said, the promise of glory is the promise almost incredible and only possible by the work of Christ. That some of us, that any of us who really chooses, shall find approval, shall please God. To please God. To be a real ingredient in the divine happiness. To be loved by God. Not merely pitied, but delighted in. As an artist delights in his work, or a father in a son. It seems impossible. A weight or burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain. But so it is. But so it is. That's our destiny. That's our destiny. Don't forget it. We can't forget it in this world. One other thing Jesus brings up in this prayer, I think, directs us, verses 25 and 26, and that's to pray for our relational love. To pray for our relational love. Oh, righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I've known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves us. And we in turn are to love others with that same love. That's his prayer. There's going to be differences among believers in politics. Absolutely, it's paramount that we do our best to allow God's truth to shape our beliefs, to shape our opinions. We're not free to ignore what God has said. That being said, we're still going to see some of these issues differently. What I'm saying is that Christ doesn't want those differences to alienate us from one another. And I'm cautioning that our politics not become a basket that's put over our lampstand in this world. See, the love of Christ is deep. And it's wide. It's a powerful current that flows over and around any boulders of petty differences. It washes over political differences that alienate and separate. Not that we won't have differences, just that this love will flow over them. 
and we'll be able to love in spite of the differences. And that, Jesus said, will be a witness to the world. Our world is hostile to the things of God. Our world is hostile to his truth. And thus the politics of this world are set against us. There will be lies. There will be slanders. Like a Christian school down in Louisville, Kentucky is facing right now. Story has not been told truthfully. And they're getting backlash. What do we do? Nothing? Roll over and play dead? No. We tell the truth. We tell the truth because we don't need to hide and we have nothing to hide. But we speak it in the love of Christ that fills us, that flows through us, even to our enemies. So let's pray with a preview of glory. And Jesus' prayer gives us a preview of the glory that is to come. Listen, we have an incredible future. And if that doesn't, if that doesn't calm us and reassure us, maybe it's because we've got it too good right now. Talk to Christians suffering in poverty for their faith in other places of the world who work hard to the bone every day just to put some food on their table to survive. Talk to them about this future and you'll see a glimmer of hope and you'll see a glimmer of joy in their eyes that is so often absent from we who have had things so good for so long that we hardly know what it means to long for heaven. In heaven, there will be unity like we've read about but never experienced. We won't be divided by tribe, by language, by ethnicity, or by nationality. No, we will be united around the throne and the Lamb of God, the one who died to make all things right. And as we navigate the passions and the complexities of this earthly city in which we live and its politics, keep this end in view. Yeah, I realize the scene is heaven. But Jesus prays that its realities will be on display right now. Right now, among his followers. What will be true then is true right now. The problem is, it easily gets lost in all the junk of this world. I'm not going to agree on everything as Christian citizens in our earthly city, but what unites us is a different citizenship. And the fact that we're journeying together to a greater city. We have a glorious future, infinitely more glorious than whatever you might perceive to have been the best in our nation's history. We hear cries to make our nation great again. It's a political rallying cry. But whatever that greatness means, it means nothing compared to the glory that awaits those who are in Christ Jesus. Nothing. 
So let's remember that in this political climate that can set us at odds with each other, the name of Christ is our identity. The resources of Christ are our sufficient supply. The love of Christ is our witness to the world. And the glory of Christ is our destiny. Let's pray that. Father, help us. We need you. We need, we need Christ. We, we need all that he has accomplished for us through his death upon the cross, through the freedom he has brought us into through our Savior Jesus Christ, through the transforming work that he is doing by the Spirit of God. And, and yet, Lord, we, we are left here on this earth and we live in these earthly cities because you, you have a task for us to, uh, to, to live out. You have a task for us to accomplish. You've given us an assignment. And so, and so we live in these cities and, and we move and, uh, around and we, we, we meet people, we work with people, we live next door to people. Uh, we, we live in cities that are governed, and, and we have the opportunity to, to, to have a voice and to participate in all of that. And, Lord, we're grateful for those things and maybe not be afraid to be a part of it all. But, Lord, somehow, somehow, especially in the climate in which we live, in which Christians are being alienated from one another, churches are dividing, and, 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 they're, and they're, 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 they're distancing themselves from each other. Bible-believing Christians are being alienated from each other in the midst of all this. Oh, God, please. Let this unity secured for us through the sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus Christ. This unity secured for us through his victory over sin and the grave. Let that be our strength. Let that be our power. Let that be our, our guiding force. And God, as we sit down and just uh, as brothers and sisters in Christ and, 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 and even with neighbors who have made really, really different views that we have and, and things that, that internally might upset us. Oh, God, help us because we, we see who you are and what you've left us here to do. May we, may we learn to listen, to interact, to talk, to share. And Lord God, those things in which we, we are different, we see things differently. Might, might, might the love of, that you had for the Son, that he has had for us, might that love flow through us into those in our church, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces, so that in answer to Jesus' prayer, the world would know that you sent Jesus Christ into this world to be the Savior of the world, that we might share in that glorious destiny to come when we gather around the throne to sing the praises of the only one who's worthy, Jesus Christ. Our heads bowed and eyes closed before we draw our worship to a close in response through song. I ask you this morning, as you're here, do you know Christ as your Savior, this one who prayed so long ago? And, and he was praying for those who, who would believe. Maybe you're one who, who hasn't believed, but you could be counted among that number. If you'd put your faith in Jesus Christ, calling out to him to be your Savior, your only and all-sufficient Savior, forgive you of your sin, to grant you life everlasting through Christ. Do that. Do that this morning. And brothers and sisters in Christ, might we just be encouraged where we need to be encouraged 
refocused where we need to be refocused, that this year we might be that light shining, that this year we might see God move in mighty ways, in answers to the prayers of his children for those in authority over us. Do you need to settle some things in that area in your life? Let's respond to the Lord as we sing. We're here to the front. If we can be of any help, we'd count it a privilege to do so. But let's respond by testifying of the worthiness of our Savior Jesus Christ. We ask this, Lord, in your name. Amen.